Good morning. Happy, you guys are so dialed in today. Happy Thanksgiving Sunday. Huh? Give it up for the worship arts ministry. That's good stuff. And you guys came ready to worship. I thank you for that. And also thank you that you've come to the first service. Now the first service has become crowded. The ushers came down earlier and told me to remind you. And when you're here on the first service, even sit toward the center of the building so our folks can get in on the outsides. I am so glad you're here. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Eat too much turkey? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, man. We hunkered down. I mean, I've been at how This is the first time I've entered civilization since like Wednesday. Um, and so I'm so I returned from just staying at the house uh, nonstop, just incredibly thankful for you and uh, just want you to know that. I know I let you know that a lot, um, but it's just how I feel. And so on this Thanksgiving Sunday, this first Sunday of Advent, for those of you who came from liturgical traditions, um, I just want you to know I am so thankful and honored to be your pastor. And um, hey, uh, after this worship celebration... I am heading to Garner, and so this is my warm welcome to you, first service 830, to the 1010 service crowd, to the 1145 service crowd. I am, for the first time since we launched our multi-site location in Garner, I am heading there to worship with them, and I'm very excited about that. I'm just going to slip in the back door. Uh, We've told you what's going on there. Um, We had a membership class there this past Monday. You've got to keep in mind, guys, this is a, a brand new church, basically. The church has grown 300% in the last eight weeks. Salvations are happening weekly. Um, people are getting baptized. Yeah, you, can, you should praise God for that. Absolutely. And on Monday night, on Monday night before Thanksgiving, this week, we had our first Abundant Life membership class. And not five, not ten, not fifteen, not twenty, but thirty brand new members joined the church over there. Fired up about what's going on there, and I am just so excited to uh, be over there with them today. Um, That kind of leads me to the surprise. I've been telling you last Sunday, and I even said in the newsletter this week that I have a surprise for you this week. And for all of you who've come up to me today and asked me if we were pregnant, (laughs) the answer is no. The answer is no. That's not the surprise. Uh, in fact, we had some friends over our house for Thanksgiving. And Fuller and his beautiful wife and their beautiful kids were with us. And they've got two little ones. They've got Noah and Ella Grace. And for the first time in my life since I've been married, I thought, maybe Amy Lynn's right. <laughs> maybe we should be done. Because, I mean, these little old things, those little Fullers were running around the house. And I watched their parents just, you know, trying to corner them and, and keep them under control. And, and, you know, our youngest is four and a half now. And it, it hit me for the first time. Wow, so quickly you forget what it's like to have little young ones. And so uh, for those of you who do have little young ones, hold on. This too shall pass. Worry not. Um, but that's not the surprise. The surprise is... Um, Something that I want to frame rightly for you. So I just want to take a few moments to to frame this. I believe that one of the greatest felt needs in the church, in our society, and in the world at large is the need to encourage, train, equip, 
inspire men. Like, I really believe, some of you have heard me say before, like, if I wasn't called to be a pastor, here's what I would be doing. I know this without a doubt. I'd be doing one of two things. I would either be a coach, an athletic coach, probably in baseball, my favorite sport, or, or I would be a, a leader of a men's ministry. Our society has grown so confused, and the men in it have grown so confused over the role of men. The church, if you go to, to 90% of the churches across our land, you will walk into the church and you will see basically that the men are MIA. They're missing. And those that are there are sleeping. And you never see men in the, in serving the children or the students, etc., etc., etc. The church has overly feminized Christianity. And men are confused in our... I'm not blaming it on the women by any means, but in our culture, the whole women's lib movement and all of that stuff. You know, I'm an inclusivist. You women, you know that. But all of that in our culture has swung dependent on way to the other side. And as a result, men are very, very confused about what it means to be a man of God. And they're very, very confused about their role. And because I'm so passionate about this, and because I believe... That as men lead their families spiritually, and as men lead, don't, don't go, women keep the claws in, as men lead beside women, but lead. Okay? Like women, you, you know this, I think I've said this before, I mean, without women, where would the church be? Now women, you should have given me a more hearty amen than that. Because the men have checked out. Seriously, just follow me for a moment. Because the men have checked out without the women showing up and serving and giving and all of that kind of stuff. I don't know where the church would be without women. So I'm incredibly thankful for women. But I'm also thankful that we're in a church where we're not like the norm. You don't, you don't go to New Hope and see that the men are checked out. Men are in here, all up in here. I'm looking at you. And what's really cool, you go to Hopetown. Men are serving our children in Hopetown, which is powerful. Our children need to see men leading them. Men are in the student ministries. Men are all over this church leading. So I'm thankful that we're not like that. But even still, we live in a culture, in a society, where men are very, very confused. And I have felt for some time that one of the greatest needs for the church, even our church, is to have a ministry that connects with men on a heart-soul leadership level and raises up godly men to serve their families, to serve the church. Because I believe when we get this church fired up with a group of men who are joining a lot of women, you get men leading around here, leading in the way of the Lord, laying their lives down for their families. We haven't seen anything yet. And so I've been praying about this for a long time. And um, I am so thrilled to be able to introduce you, to you today not only our guest speaker, but our new staff person, our newest staff person by the name of Michael Thompson. Let me tell you a little bit about Michael Thompson. Michael is married to uh, Robin, and uh, they, he grew up in Oklahoma. Any Oklahoma people? 
Well, I thought there'd be a few of you. Um, <laughs> hey, right behind him. Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma. Some of He's a graduate of the University of Central Oklahoma in 88 and has a graduate degree in counseling from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in 04. Robin grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and then high school in Greensboro, North Carolina, and she graduated from the... <clears throat> <clears throat> It's only because basketball, you know, I'm only with you, Carolina people, but baby, basketball season is on. So all of, all of the sentiment is over. She is a graduate from the University of North Carolina in 89. Yeah. The Thomp- <laughs> I told you you'd love this crowd. The Thompsons have been married since 1990. They have three lovely daughters, Ashley, 17, Hannah, 15, Abby, 12. He is the leader of a ministry in this area called Zoe Ministry. It's all about life, heart, and purpose, three distinct words. He leads this men's ministry here in central North Carolina. So he already has a ministry outside of coming on staff here at the church. He just wrote a book um, called Search and Rescue. And uh, that's being printed now on the press as we speak. And so I respect him for that and honor him for that. And by the way, I'm about to do that. You guys, I've been asking you to pray about that for for many months now, and I keep getting you guys asking me if that's going to happen. I've decided after lots of prayer, some fasting, lots of consultation, that I am doing that. So I share that with you only so that you could pray for me between now and August. The publisher due date is August 1, and the title of the book that they've asked me to write on is called The Power of Preaching. And so I got to change a lot in my life in terms of balance and schedule and that and really just covet your prayers on that. So if I really respect what he just went through because I know what it takes. He just wrote this book, Search and Rescue, and he is launching at this church. This is in your bulletin. Why don't you go ahead and take out your bulletin, in fact, because I want you to grab those teaching notes and get ready for him to sling it and bring it up here today. Um, if you look in there under men's ministry... This is kind of a pre-launch. And men, the reason I set all that up, the reason I framed all that up was because men, men, all men looking at me, men, 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 men. We are doing this for you. And we hope you will engage a ministry at this church that's all about men. All about men. I mean, guys, there'll be times where there, there's no frilliness going on. We'll go out around campfires and, and, uh, and, and talk men's stuff and grow in becoming men of God. This guy will lead us there, and it's very, very exciting. The launch of that, the pre-launch of that, is Tuesday, December 14th at 7.30. Tuesday, December 14th at 7.30, right here in the Student Ministry Center. And um, then you'll be hearing more informa- information about this ministry launching full-fledged in January of 2011. He has a heart for men, so as a result, he would have a great heart for marriage. Amen? Amen. And that's the series that we're in. This is the last Sunday of the Fit to be Tied series. Michael will be probably teaching up here from this platform three to four to five times a year, so we're excited about that. And this is his inaugural sermon at New Hope Church. I have told him that you guys are the best, most welcoming crowd to guest speakers I've ever seen, and to me every Sunday, and I mean that. So I want you, in typical New Hope style, to give it up for Michael Thompson, our new minister to men.
surprise. I, I thought maybe, you know, for the second service I was talking with Benji, he shot down the idea with this surprise. You know, being the surprise is uh, a lot of pressure, you know, with that. So I thought maybe behind the bed or behind the curtain jumping out or a big Christmas, you know, big box, you know, being surprised. But we shot that down. So, um, surprise. It is good to be here, good to be here with you. We're, my family and I actually are here um, most Sundays. Uh, we have been for uh, the last year and a half, maybe, and uh, have enjoyed being a part of this uh, family on Sunday mornings, um, and particularly this 1010 crowd. Yeah, 1010. We're, 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 this is when we normally come, so it's good to be here with you. Um, and I did bring my sorority here this morning. They're, they're right there in the front row, uh, the girls, the Thompson sorority. And uh, so as we, as we jump in, um, and, you've, and you've, got your, um, you've got your notes, what my, what my assignment, what my role job was is to address this idea of the masculine, the role of the masculine heart in marriage, okay? The role of the masculine heart in marriage. And if you, some of you probably went to the... Uh, to the um, marriage conference with Mark Gunger. And, uh, and, and then we heard last Sunday Benji talk about good sex, bad sex, right? Um, a church talking about sex. Isn't that cool? You know, what, what God was not ashamed or embarrassed to, uh, to write, uh, we ought not be embarrassed or ashamed to talk about in, in, a, in a family environment. Um, such as this church. So if you, if, you look, if you were here last Sunday or you were here at the, uh, the conference, did, does this look familiar? Yeah. Good, because I really don't want to have to explain this. Um, <laughs> I was dreading that, so I'm glad there's enough yes. That, um, but what Mark Gunger said uh, was about men. Men, it's, it's about her heart. It's about her heart. And... Did I drop? Oh, I did drop. Time out. How long were you waving back there at me? Like, you look tired. Okay, am I okay? All right. It's about her heart, okay? And you know what this is? All right? And, and, and here's this, this flow. This, this, is, this is the sexuality. This is the, the intimacy. This is the connectedness on the physical level. But there's a deeper place a deeper part that we are to connect with our, with our wives, and that is at her heart. And, and then and there's this chemistry then. I mean, this is such a great diagram, okay? Well, one of the problems, uh, and, I, and I would love for, for Mark to have addressed it, but I want to hit it real quick. One of the problems is in our culture, okay, here's what, Not only the masculine heart or men are approaching it this way, but even women have bought in to this idea that it has to look this way. And there's a force that's really behind this propaganda. There's a force at work that is ancient. And this philosophy or this mentality that Satan has used has gone on for a long, long time. It seems like every generation has to wrestle with this. 
from ancient times. And this Benji talked last week a little bit about the, the whole pornography thing in the good sex, bad sex uh, dilemma and how pornography is gripping the hearts of men and women. And I'd really encourage you, if you, if you haven't heard or, or didn't, didn't see that message, get, get to the website and, and, and check into that. Powerful things that I don't have time to review. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who was kind of a one-man uh, resistance in World War II against Nazi Germany, theologian, uh, wonderful, wonderful writings. But Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, that the men who are, who are going down to the red light district, the men who are going to the houses of prostitution are actually looking for God. They're really looking for God. What they've done is they've substituted the greatest secondary source of life for primary. Do you understand that? That what the men are looking for is life. A connectedness with another life. Even if they have to pay for it. But what they're really looking for is God. So when we talk about the masculine role, the role of the masculine heart in marriage we need to understand that the story that we're living in is far more dangerous than most of us have been led to believe. And that we are up against a force if marriage is the most wonderful, primary, significant relationship thing on the planet. Amen? Amen. Nothing is more powerful than two people, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, walking with God together. Amen? Nothing. But why do we see so little of it? That's why. The enemy has infiltrated the greatest of God's things, gifts, the greatest of God's offerings, the greatest of God's creation. The enemy has infiltrated it any and every way that he can to compromise it that we might live less and that we might live small. This is a far more dangerous story than most of us have been led to believe. And the story that your heart is in, men and women, if you underestimate the role of the enemy, the adversary, in our story, then I would bet the house that you're captive. You're POW. You're in trouble if you've underestimated the enemy in the story. About three years ago, um, my oldest daughter, Ashley, uh, called me into my office. She was on the computer uh, and, and showed me this YouTube video that I'm about to show you, dealing with the feminine heart. First, let me give you the, let me give you the, uh, the answers to this, this question. What is the role of the masculine heart in marriage? Here's the four things that I want to walk through. To provide, to protect to redeem, and to restore. 
to provide, to protect, to redeem, and restore. Okay? Those four things is what, we're, what we want to talk about in our, in our little bit of time we have. So my daughter Ashley brings me into the office to watch this YouTube video of a song by John McLaughlin called Beautiful Disaster. And she said, Dad, Dad, this is what you talk about. This is, this, this is what um, you share with, with men. And I watched it for the first time, and, and I just, I cried. Uh, it was so significantly helpful and impacting to my heart. Then we went on, and she showed me, uh, you know how on YouTube you can comment on, on the videos that are there? We went down, I don't know how many, a dozen, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 17-year-old, 20-year-old, 25-year-old women, girls and women who wrote things like, this is my life. This is so true. This song describes how I feel. So I want to play, men, as we step into this what is our role? What's the masculine heart's role in marriage? We need to understand the feminine heart. Amen? Amen. We need to be students of their hearts. God did not give me Robin to meet my needs. God gave me Robin to teach me how to love. And the woman in your life that's what, that's what she's there for, to journey with together and to learn how to love. Let me show you this video from John McLaughlin. She loves her mama's lemonade Hates the sound of goodbyes made she prays one day she'll find someone to need her She swears that there's no difference Between the lies and compliments It's all the same if everybody leaves her
Now, being the, da- the, the father of three daughters, can you see the wake-up call in that? Let me, let me ask you women, is that true? There's a lot of nodding going on, men. There's a reality that the prince of this dark world has put a, a pressure on the feminine heart that they've believed they don't measure up. They've believed they're, they're not enough. They've believed they, they need to look that way. And men, do you know what we've done? We've let them. We've participated in, in the great lie. Isn't he the father of lies? What's the enemy up to? He's lying. He's lying to you, precious feminine hearts, about who you are what you are, the glory of your beauty, your care-giving hearts. And it can be overwhelming, if not encouraged, it can be overwhelming to battle and fight against that. Amen? In Genesis 3, when we fell, our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, when, when they fell, there was a time when God then ushers them out of the garden, okay? And he begins to bring into play this idea of providing and protecting them. Getting them out of the garden wasn't punishment. Getting them out of the garden was to provide and protect for them. Lest, the passage says, lest they eat of the tree of life and stay this way. Stay what way? Fallen. So, when you look at Revelation 22, the curse is lifted. When does the curse get in play? Genesis 3. See, Revelation 22 says that we are welcomed back into the great city, into the presence of God without sin, without Satan, and without fallenness. Can you imagine? That's why it's heaven. That's where we're headed. But in Genesis 3, when we fall, there is this, these consequences. There's, there's this um, curse that we are escorted out of the garden under. And in Genesis 3.16, God says to her, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, I don't know about you guys, men, but that sounds pretty good to me. It doesn't sound so cursed. That sounds pretty cool. Her desire will be for me. Yeah. Nice, God. That's a good move. Do you know what that passage is really saying? It's saying that, Adam, you will be responsible for loving and leading in this marriage. But I'm going to put something in her that will rival that. You see, Adam chose Eve over God. Because in 3.17, God turns to Adam and says, Because you listened to your wife. 
See, Adam, there was a moment where there was fallen Eve and there wasn't fallen Adam. Do you understand what I'm saying? There have been seconds. It might have been moments. But she hands the apple to him and, God, and Adam does not say, time out, whoa, 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 this is, something's not right here. God, where are you? Come, come into this, help me. What does he do? He joins her. Because you listen to your wife, because you chose Eve over me, here is, here is your consequences. And he hands those out. When I look around, actually when I survey my own life and heart, and I look around and survey the hearts and lives of other men, not a lot has changed. We still fall victim to this pursuing her over him. In the redemption story that is the scriptures, we, we launch, I, we don't have time, I have to launch all the way from Genesis and jump to Ephesians now, Ephesians 5. And Paul begins to give some instruction to the redeeming and the restoration of marriage. And he says in Ephesians 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. In the message version, it says it like this. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Do you understand not getting? There's a, there's a conflict that most of us men live with. We actually inherited it, and it's a consumer-type mentality. It's the heart of a consumer rather than a provider. What did Christ do for the church? Protection, provision, redemption, and restoration, right? So... If, if I were, when we read this passage and we instruct men to go do this, it actually can be a very unkind thing. Anytime you require or ask somebody to do something that they're not equipped to do, or they're not capable of doing, or they're not competent or confident in doing, is that kind? If I were to say to my daughter, my youngest 12-year-old, Abby here, if I say, hey, here's, here's five quarts of oil, and the oil filter for my uh, Ford F-150, now get out there and change the oil. It would, I mean, it would be silly, wouldn't it? She doesn't know how to do that. And to invite her or require her to go about that would be very, very unkind. And yet we launch this passage onto men's lives, uh, usually around Valentine's, right? Or a marriage conference. Inviting them to, to go and do that Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Men, it's okay. Christ had three things on us that we need to be in pursuit of, and we will be here at New Hope over the next year or so, a couple years it's going to take. Some are in different places on this. But Christ had three things on, on most men that we're on journey for. Christ knew who he was, he knew where he was, and he knew the good that God was up to in his life. I find that I'm on a journey of those three things in, in the pursuit of wholeness and holiness, in pursuit of connectedness and intimacy with God. 
that, that gaining ground on any one of those three, they're all connected, knowing who I am, knowing where I am, and knowing the good that God is up to in my life. Do you understand that? Jesus had that down. Jesus had that going on. Jesus was competent and confident in those three things. Guess whose image I'm being grown up into? Can you guess? We all are. Into his, I'm growing up into Christ-likeness. So those are three things that, that God is up to in growing me and training me up into the man that I'm going to be. So to say, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, it's, it's far more than just some sacrificial action and activity in your life. It's strength. Masculine strength. Knowing who you are in difficult times. Knowing where you are, that difficult times are coming. And knowing that God is up to some very, very, very good things in your life, growing you up to become more and more like him. That's the masculine heart that we are invited to bring into the marriage. And that, if you read Ephesians 1, chapters 1 through 4, or prior to this, that's what Paul's saying prior to, to this. It's almost unkind to, to, to launch into that passage without understanding the first four chapters and how the restorative work of Christ in a man's heart equips him to go fight for hers. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Men, you have to know your story. You have to know your story. You have to know the larger story that your story is in. This is, this is critical. But after you get your bearings on your story and what in the world has happened to you, if you're going to fight for the heart of a woman, you have to know her story. You have to know the journey of her heart long before you even arrived in the picture. I know it's hard to believe that there, there was life before you in her life. But what has her heart been through? Who has handled her heart? What were the messages that she received as a little girl? What was she like in fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade? Who bullied her? Was her home front safe? Was there a divorce? Was there a stepfather? Were there boyfriends? Did she, was she shipped off to go live with her grandmother? Did both her parents work? And she was home alone, often. Did a babysitter do the unspeakable? I mean, her heart has been on a journey. And if you're going to fight for it, then you need to know what that journey is was because odds are what she's experiencing what she's experienced in her life is still in play especially if the enemy has had his way in wounding and assaulting her every feminine heart is asking a few questions every feminine heart is asking a few questions do you see me and do you like what you see? Am I beautiful? Am I lovely? And will you fight for me? Little girls, um, when they're young, what do they pretend to be? 
Yeah, I heard it. Princesses, right? They pretend to be princesses. Hey, men, they're not pretending. They're rehearsing. And the invitation for you to answer her questions as her husband, that you do see her, and that she is lovely, she is beautiful, and that you will fight for her. That is your opportunity. But if you're doing it as a consumer, do you see the folly in that? Do you see the the damage that you can actually be doing? If you're doing that in order to get, well, now you're a manipulator. And I know that guy. Because I got my training, like most men did, from James Bond, Hugh Hefner, and all the other 12 and 13-year-old boys that I ran around with. Men, how many of you were ever invited by your father or, or your grandfather or an uncle or a man? How many of you, let me ask you this way, because so I, uh, I do want you to raise your hand if this is you. How many of you were never talked to or invited into a discussion about the feminine heart and how to fight for it? So you, like me, were left to kind of make this up as you go. Women, we are so sorry. (laughs) We are so sorry. But you see how the generational stuff starts playing? I mean, my dad didn't have a model for that. My dad's dad, World War II, he didn't tell my dad diddly about how to enter into the battle for a woman's heart, how to... Love her without being a consumer. How to provide, to protect, to redeem and restore her. What if we could break the cycles? What if we could be men who had a strength that comes from knowing who we are, who God has made us? Not, now I'm not talking about corporately as men. I'm talking about you. How God made you. How you uniquely bear His image as a man what his role is for you to play in the larger story. Can you feel how the, how, what a difference that might make? Not only in your story, in the story of your marriage and your relationship with one another. Men, we cannot and will not love a woman well or be able to fight for her heart until we get ours back. That's, that's the greatest thing that we can do is to walk with God and pursue God for wholeness in our hearts and lives to be restored into the man that we are and are becoming. That is the critical and the key ingredients to then going and fighting for her heart. Do you know why? To love her as Christ loved the church will cost you everything. And most men go bankrupt long before they finish the fight. It's, it's that hard. There is an enemy who, at any given time, if Robin is under attack or out of sorts or wounded, then half our marriage is in trouble, is it not? Is there such thing as half your marriage being in trouble? 
It's our marriage. Or if at any point the enemy is at work hammering me, is her marriage in trouble? And what if he's got both of us at the same time? Oh, it's a two for one, right? So that, that, that is the challenge that we have as, as married couples is walking with God together in this larger story, a very dangerous story, knowing who we are, where we are, and the good that God is up to in our lives. Women, Stacey Eldridge put this in her book in Captivating, talking about the woman's heart and the core desires of a woman's heart. A woman wants to be romanced. She wants to have an irreplaceable role in a great adventure. Men, they don't want to be the adventure. That wasn't supposed to be funny, but go ahead. I mean, (laughs) right? Women, you don't want to be the adventure. But to be caught up in one, to be part of something more, to have an irreplaceable role in the story, and thirdly, to, be, uh, to offer their beauty. Every woman is beautiful. Everyone. And has a beauty that has so been assaulted that they, many of them hesitate and dare not even offer it for what has happened in their story in the past when they did. But every woman has a beauty to unveil. This is how they bear the image of God. Beauty, mystery, compassion, and caregiving. Are those godly characteristics and attributes? Yeah. And that is how they bear his image as women. Provide, to provide for them, to protect them. There is a special hatred for Eve, the daughters of Eve. The, the villain in the story is very very committed to the wounding wounding of their hearts. Several of the marriage books that are out there on the table, several um, of them have a um, kind of a bottom line to them that, that, that what women are most fearful of or concerned about, do you know what the one thing is that a woman is most afraid of? Abandonment. Men, do you see how we've contributed to the lies of the enemy? I mean, you don't have to be divorced to be in a marriage in which you feel abandoned, in which you feel left behind, in which you feel like you're not worthy of pursuit unless you give something away. Men, her wounds that are in her story, her wounds and her woundedness and the message of those wounds, that is where you'll find your mission. That is where the questions of, am I lovely? Do you see me? Am I beautiful? And will you fight for me? Those are where the answers to those questions have been answered, no. So guess where your mission is? In the redemption and the recovery of those questions. Because you know where that little girl's heart is right now? Big girls, where is it? 
It's right there. The princess is still either in the dungeon or in the tower. Maybe not all the time, but at times wondering if there will be anybody who will come for her. This is what we were made for, men, to come through, to offer strength. But if we have question marks about that in our lives, do you see how this just caves in? And then explodes into the breaking and the brokenness that so many marriages feel and experience. I want to show you one clip, the final clip. I want to show you one clip. I love this clip. It's from the film Shall We Dance? And it's about a man who kind of goes through his midlife crisis. It's about a man who's trying to find out who he is. He, he works a job. He's, he's pretty successful. He brings home a, a decent paycheck. But there's an ache. There's something missing. And he ends up stepping into this dance studio very hesitantly. And he learns how to dance. And his wife hires a private investigator to find out why he's not coming home quite on time and finds out that he's learning how to dance. She's kind of shocked and stunned and hurt. She feels what? Abandoned. And as he's getting his bearings and finding out who he is and and his place how grateful he is for his his wife and his marriage. I want to show you the scene, how he comes to recover, to redeem, and to restore. And I think it can inspire us men that here's where our women's hearts are. It's full of flowers and heart-shaped boxes 
touch our hearts? Why does that grab us? Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in our hearts. Men and women, the things that move your heart like that are more true than you might know. Men, this really comes down to what kind of man do you aspire to be? And the hope that we can launch into um, 
an initiative here at New Hope that is the recovery of the masculine heart. Gals, if you'll just hang on a little longer, <laughs> we'll come for you. The truth is we've, we've got to get our hearts in order. We, we, we've got to understand where we are, what's happened to us, who we're becoming, and the good that God is up to in our lives. And if you will pray for us and hang on a little longer, I believe in the months ahead, men, good men, you wouldn't be here, men, if you're not already good men. We will come for you. And we hope you'll have us when we do. Men, we are not any longer to get our strength from her but rather to bring our strength to her and there's a huge difference she's not here to answer your questions of are you a man are you strong enough and do you have what it takes it's time to start ta stop taking our questions to the woman and take those same core questions of our heart to God because he's the only one who can answer those questions And when we get our bearings, that's when we can come after them. Hang on, women. Hang on. If you've got a good man, I believe the pursuit of this, he can become a great man. If your man is like I was for so long, lost, disoriented, and confused about his own life, much less how to fight for the heart of his wife, there's hope. There's hope. Just to summarize a little bit of, just give you four things that I want to make sure you get as we wrap up. Men, you need to know her story. You need to know her story. There's a, there's a book out on the, uh, in the uh, bookstore called uh, My Wife, My Wife's Heart. A good friend of mine wrote that book. It's, it's kind of an interview. Uh, for those of you who aren't real crafty, you know, don't hide it. Just, just interview her. And it's not as much about the bio stuff in her life. It's about the deeper, deeper issues, deeper items. Do you know what your wife's, what your wife's favorite Christmas gift of all time was? Do you know who hurt your wife the most on this planet? Do you know what your wife longs for, desires, and wants. See, no one, no one she's from Ohio and went to UNC and grad... I mean, I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about the deeper water of a woman's heart. Two resources I highly recommend to help us men get kind of jump-started in there. One would be to read the book Stacey Eldridge wrote called Captivating. If you want to understand the feminine heart, that's a great place to start. There's another book called uh, Brave Hearts by Susan Hirsch. Phenomenal book on the feminine heart. Men, we need to be students. We need to get in there and learn what's happened to them in their story, what they long for. You must know her story. 
so that you can answer the questions of her heart with yes. I see you. Yes, you're beautiful. Yes. Her wounds, and you'll hear those in her story, if you hear her story, her wounds are your mission. This is where Christ redeems and restores the church, and this is where we as husbands have the opportunity to to partner with God in the restoration of not just our wives, but this goes for any feminine heart. Your mothers, your sisters, your wife, your daughters. And just like it cost Christ a great deal, it will cost us everything. This is not a role for the faint of heart. This is not a role that we can afford another attempt and an almost. This is a part that we as men need to step in and do well. And if you don't think all hell will break loose against that, then I'll see you on December 14th when we circle the men up and begin our journey together in the pursuit of the masculine heart and get our bearings on this dangerous story that our story is set in. It will take everything you've got. And this is about what kind of man you're going to be. This is about what kind of man you're going to be. A man who knows who he is, where he is, and the good that God is up to in his life. That is a man to be reckoned with. That's who Jesus was and is, and that's who we as men and women, are becoming more and more like him. In closing, i got to say this to you men. Men, before you can fight for her, before you can become the warrior, you have to become the beloved son. Before you can go after the feminine heart, you have to have yours healed, restored, and redeemed. There's a great scene in Luke 3 when Jesus is baptized. Do you remember the scene? His his cousin John baptizes him in the River Jordan. And he comes up and there's this voice. If I could do James Earl Jones, I would do it, right? This is my son, you know. But God speaks. When Jesus comes up out of the water, the the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then there's this broadcast. This is my Son, whom I love, and in in whom I am well pleased. You, you, You have to grab the dramatic significance of that moment. Have you ever, as 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 fathers, men, as fathers, have you ever been proud of your sons or daughters? So much so that that you just can't hardly contain it. Now you're, now you're approaching the drama of that scene in that scripture. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm so proud of him. My beloved son. And we are, we are born again into that family as beloved sons and daughters. How many of you long to hear those words in your life? Oh. Let me ask again. Let me see the hands. Come on. How many of you long to hear You are my beloved son. I am proud of you. You are my beloved daughter. I love what I see. You are beautiful to me. See, the father is the one who answers those questions. 
Guess where Jesus goes after that moment? The beginning of the next chapter, guess what it says? Then the Holy Spirit led him into the desert. What's waiting there? The battle. In order to become the warrior, you first must become the beloved son. And you can. You can do this. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your love that can change everything when we lay hold of it and let it lay hold of us. You are a good father up to good things in our lives. Among them is is training up your sons and your daughters into who they are and who they are becoming. And I pray that as we as we wrap up and uh, close out this this marriage series as we finalize the significance of the masculine heart, the role of the masculine heart in marriage, that we would take you up on this offer to wholeness, to holiness, and that our women in our lives would not have to wait much longer for us to step in and play our part well. Thank you that your love changes everything. And oh, how you love us. We are grateful. And I pray that it would be far more than a song, but it would be an experience. It would be an encounter. It would be a reality in our day-to-day. That it wouldn't just be theology, though that is good, that it would be reality. That you would answer the deep questions that our hearts are asking. And the answer would be yes. Yes and yes. To the feminine heart, to the masculine heart so that the two of us might walk with you in marriage. Two people walking with you as it's intended. Amen.